So let's look in our Bibles at 2 John. It's a little tiny letter towards the end of the New Testament. If you've got a paper Bible, it may take you a while to get there, so go ahead and find that location. If you have a digital, it's a little bit easier. You can get there quicker. Either way, we're glad that you're participating, glad for those who are online, glad for those who need the notes, want the notes. You can find those at Uversion. Every once in a while, we want to just remind you we're working in partnership with Uversion. Actually, online church, our, our online live streaming is out of that ministry, as well as the Bible app that we recommend and suggest. And the good news is you can look it up in any translation you want. I will be teaching out of the Christian Standard Bible, the CSB, um, and you can go there, but you can compare it to your favorite translation as well. John is writing this letter to what he calls the elect lady. I have settled in my mind that it is a reference to the church that he's addressing. But it could be a lady who has been a leader, who has been a part of the foundation of one of those churches that he helped start and has continued to pastor in the region of Ephesus. It could be the lady whose house that church is meeting in because they're not meeting in buildings the way we understand church at this point in the first century AD. And so it could be the lady who's hosting the church service and the Bible studies and the prayer meetings and the activities every week in her home. And either way, the message is applicable not only in that first century AD to this person or group of people that we don't know, but it is applicable to us today, partially because it is the Word of God. It exists and it is inspired because God himself, according to scripture, breathed the very life and inspiration into the scripture, making it authoritative. And so it's something we listen to, it's something we study, and it's something we make application into everyday living. And in 2 John, we're looking at verses 4 through 6, so we're down just a couple of verses. You look in those numbers, and John's going to address a very practical, everyday issue. And it is the issue of prioritization, how we decide what our priorities are. I was thinking about it this week because I've been cleaning up my office and doing some housekeeping and things like a lot of our church is doing right now. And as I was in the process of doing that, I ran across all of my old calendars. I don't even know if the company is still in business, but does, is anybody old enough to remember Daytimer? Yes. All right. I, as I was looking through that, I found all those. Daytimer was so cool back then because you could like force little pieces of paper into your calendar. And so I was looking back at all these to-do lists to, just to remind me, these are priorities. This has to be done this week. Of course, now I do it digitally, like the vast majority of you. I have an app that reminds me, it cycles up, tells me this has to be done on this day, this has to be done on this week. But what I realized as I was looking at those tasks is that prioritization of my life is very temporary. I wouldn't remember the task that I needed to do several years ago if I hadn't run across old scraps of paper. And Quite honestly, my digital app, I never remember those because as soon as I complete one, the, the greatest joy of my day is being to hold and press. And then that red little light comes up and with the trash can on there and gives me the option to delete. And that task is no longer a part of my life. 
But then I read a Bible, I was doing a Bible study this week on marriage. And it asked the question, what was the thing that attracted you most to your spouse in the very beginning? Thankfully, if I have anything, it's tending towards Alzheimer's so I could remember that far back, even though I can't remember what I'm supposed to do today. But as I, as I was doing that Bible study, at the same time I'm kind of housekeeping the office and I'm thinking about priorities and thinking about teaching this morning, I realized what oftentimes happens in our lives is that the most important things in our lives drop into a nebulous, unorganized part of our life where we say, yes, it's priority. I'm guessing if I put out a survey this morning and I asked everyone in here, name the priorities for the vast majority of the people in this room, for the vast majority of the people on our live stream, I'm guessing just about everybody would say, well, well God's my priority. And my family's my priority. And depending on how you define that family, how that family is a part of your life, your spouse, if, if that's the only one in your family, if you're currently in the process of raising children, then, you're, then your children. If you don't have a spouse or a child and all you've got is a turtle, then your turtle. I mean, you know, you would, it's, just, it's just kind of a no-brainer. And, you know, and then we would go through those. But here's the, here's the thing. When I looked at those to-do lists from the past, and I looked at my current to-do list for this week. None of the things I have to get done this week affect the most important priorities in my life. There's nothing on there that says, take my wife on a date this week. There's nothing on there that says, take, um, you know, go buy flowers for my wife this week. There's nothing on there that says, I need, to, I need to do something special for her. I need to drop her a card in the mail, or I need, to, I need to somehow remind her, this is what I loved so much when we met. None of those priorities are on the to-do list because none of those tasks are pressing from the standpoint of urgency. But they always press because that's the core of who I am. My to-do list on a basic week does not match my core values. Now, I would love to tell you that I have a conclusion to that, and that's what I'm here in the next 15 minutes going to share with you how I'm going to correct that. But I'm on a journey just like you're on a journey. And what I, what I realize as I look at John's words to this church, he is excited and at the same time reminding Here's your core values. This is who you are. And if your urgency and your busyness isn't matching, bring it, find the way to synthesize it together. Bring it together and make it work so that your core values drive not only who you are and your identity, but it drives your activities. Now, what I am not going to say is that you don't have to go to school tomorrow because you can determine this afternoon that maybe education isn't your core value this week. I'm not saying we can make the decision tomorrow not to go to work because maybe our work doesn't reflect our core values. That may be a long-term decision that needs to be addressed because we always have to do tasks. We always have things that need to be accomplished. But to the best of our ability, let's listen to John's advice and let's synthesize these things together. Let's, let's meld them together in such a way that we are busy doing those things that are core to who we are. Even while we do the things that just simply have to be done. 
And I'm, I am classic in this area across the board. I, I had a great afternoon yesterday. Carrie and I, were, we did actually go on a date, went to breakfast together. And then after going to breakfast, we stopped by my favorite nursery, went through, looked at all the flowers. I already knew which one I was going to buy. I don't know if anybody does this except me. Um, but I like to look at all the rest of the plants. And, and, and so, you know, I knew which one I was going to buy. And normally I'm kind of on task. Normally I'm like, get in, get out. If it was Kohl's, I know exactly which aisle I've got to go to and exactly which aisle to go to. And thanks to COVID, I know I don't have to go to the aisle. I can online shop and never have to go again. Isn't God so good in the midst of trauma? You know, but I like to look at flowers. And so I'm walking up and down the aisles looking and Carrie saying, well, aren't we going to, don't we need to get this flower? Well, yeah, but let's look around. And I got home, and I was so excited, even though it was raining, I thought, well, this is great. Plant in the rain. It's already self-watered. I don't have to turn on the hose and put those flowers in the bed, and I'm so proud of them. I went out this morning, took the coffee pot. I don't know if y'all knew that coffee actually accelerates flower growth. You know, watered them just to make sure they were happy this morning before I came to church. I am so excited about planting new flowers. The problem is in about three to four weeks, there's going to be weeds that came up because I started watering that area, and I don't want to spend any time pulling the weeds. Life is filled full of core activities that we love and define us and our identity, but life is also filled with the weeds that we just have to get rid of. What happens and what I'm recognizing in my own life is sometimes we invert those as priorities and the weeds seem overwhelming and we forget what's at the core. We forget how much God means to us and how much we need him and how much we have to pray and how much we want to build the disciplines of spirituality into our life. None of us would ever say, no, God's a, God's a low priority. We wouldn't say that. Even if you don't know God yet, you're here because, and you're on live stream because you're interested in understanding spirituality or inquiring about what it means to know God. You don't even know him yet, but yet you have a sense to recognize, no, nobody really wants to say God is unimportant. But our lives sometimes look like God's unimportant. And I think that's what John's saying. And that was a long introduction to get you to just three short little verses. But he starts in verse 4 and just says, I'll open honestly, candidly, and I believe caringly, I was very glad to find some of your children walking in the truth. I was glad to find some. We don't, we don't know the circumstances. because We don't know who he's addressed to. We don't know which church or if it is a, a lady who's hosting the church in her home. We don't know which one or who she is. So we don't know which children. We don't know how come it's a some and not all, other than if you've been in church life, you realize oftentimes some describes this better than all. Um, you know, we don't know. But we do know John is happy. He flat out says, I am glad. There's a sense of joy welling up inside of him because a prioritization is always appreciated by those who have lived longer and experienced more and recognize the importance of setting appropriate priorities. I was very glad to find some of your children walking. We're going to look at what that means to walk in truth in just a second. But he was excited because he understands these people, these children, as he refers to them, they understand the priorities and they're living the priorities. He's, John is not an apostolic spiritual Fitbit. 
He's not happy because they're actually walking. He found them in the park one day or found them going around the block. He's glad because walking in John's language and in John's period of time describes lifestyle, it describes living, it describes the actions and the the things that we carry out day in and day out. I am happy, I am glad, he says, "I I am joyful because I found your people living. And not just living, but living in truth. And so there is the importance of understanding priorities are valuable and priorities are are appreciated and, and, and priorities are something we should significantly address in all of our life, whether it's business or school or family, but particularly in our relationship with God. And John further defines that in the rest of verse four. So 2 John verse four, walking in truth, in keeping with the command we have received from the Father. There's three elements of what John saw this prioritization, and this begins to clarify what they've prioritized. They are walking in truth. They are keeping a command. Command is not just simply the Ten Commandments. It's not that they're checking that off each day. Oh, yeah, today I didn't steal. Today I didn't covet. Today I didn't murder. Today I didn't... You know, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the entirety of the expectations, the, the requirements, the things that God wants us to do. And why does God want us to do these things? Because he loves us and knows that our lives are better. All the rest of the priorities, the reason we often place God in the first slot is because everything else begins to work. If I live according to Scripture, then my marriage is better. It it doesn't make it perfect. It doesn't make it without difficulty. But it's better, and it's more effective, and it's more accomplishable, and it's more sustainable. Because God wants to change and work in my life in such a way that I can do these things as a result of the transformation that's happening. And so I understand truth. And for John, truth is the gospel. Truth is relationship with Jesus Christ. Truth is making that decision to trust in Christ and then follow the expectations of God, the commands of God in a way that changes our lifestyle, transforms who we are so that every other priority becomes better. I am a better employee when I live according to the precepts and teachings of God. I am am a better member of the community. I am a better, I mean, I think you can apply it to, I actually believe you can apply this to any area of your life. I think you'll be a better athlete if you're spiritual first. I think any area of your life is improved by spirituality, by knowing Jesus. And this prioritized clarity becomes important because we have to ask ourselves, okay, what is the most important part? Am I living in truth? Am I walking in truth? Am I keeping the expectations of God, the commands of God? And am I doing those things that I have received from the Father? And that is a dynamic, ongoing relationships. Commands seem static because we study the precepts of the Word of God that is unchanging. But understanding the things that we've received from the Father is an ongoing, daily, relational experience. Every day I understand the personality of God, and that begins to change what I prioritize. It begins to clarify the priorities in my life. And then, I think this is important, because sometimes, particularly if by nature we're task-driven, sometimes there is a tendency 
to lose compassion when we're prioritized. We get things clear. We understand exactly what we're supposed to do. We set about doing that task. And if we're not careful, we lose every element of the love of God. We have called it historically and we have have dealt with it historically in church life as legalism. This is the problem the Pharisees had. They couldn't understand what Jesus was doing and how Jesus could be the disciple because they had become so fixated on doing the law and doing their interpretation of the law that when Jesus came and said, you know, more than anything else, I just love the people. It didn't fit into their paradigm. And in the midst of that, they thought they had so prioritized and so clarified what was expected that they completely forgot and lost and missed the priority of compassion. And they just didn't see it. They just didn't understand it. And so when you begin to read the New Testament, particularly the historical documents of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and you're reading those things, and you, you see this group of people surrounding Jesus, and Jesus is doing things that were unheard of at that point in time. Jesus is forgiving sin on a Sabbath, a day when nobody, apparently even God, wasn't allowed to work. And so Jesus is condemned. He is criticized and he's considered blasphemous because compassion always outweighs clarity. Now, clarity with compassion is really good. And that's what Jesus had. Jesus never lost track of who he was and what he was going to do. And we shouldn't either. And so let's clarify our priorities. Let's understand truth. Let's understand the expectations. Let's understand what the Father's doing in us right now. But let's do that truth in keeping with verse 5 and the first part of verse 6, where we love one another. This is what he wrote in his letter. So now I ask you, dear lady, not as if I were writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. That we, we care. We, we prioritize compassion in our lives. And this doesn't mean we lose boundaries and we, we lose health or we lose perspective. Because real compassion is rooted in the deep and effectual love of God. Let's love the way Jesus loved. You know, and there are a lot of people that Jesus comes in contact during his lifetime that have serious issues, serious dysfunctions, serious boundary issues. And Jesus' goal always was to seek redemption and bring them to a place of health. But not everybody accepted that. And so he's talking to a young businessman one day. And the young businessman wants to say, okay, I I got the first part of this. I'm going to prioritize the the clarity of my life. What do you expect of me, Jesus? Because I've done this, 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 this. Jesus, I've done all of that. I should have made the list. I should have, you know, been on the starting team. And Jesus said, hey, that's great. Why don't you do this? Just one more. The problem was his core values didn't sync with his spirituality. And that was the one thing he didn't want to do. Because he loved, in this particular case, it was materialism. He loved the things of this world more than he wanted to experience the things of God. And he says, no, I don't want anything to do with it. 
And that's where the story ends. The story has him walking off the platform, disappearing into oblivion, and we have no follow-up, no idea whatever happened to that young man. What you didn't see was Jesus groveling and chasing and screaming and wailing, till please come back. I didn't mean to set such a high standard. I'll adjust my standard just for you, please. Because that's not true compassion. That doesn't take that man or transform that man from his dysfunction and his issues into a healthy man. It would just continue to aid the dysfunction that was destroying his life. And Jesus' Jesus' compassion was greater than that. He wanted full hearts and full transformation. And he loved. And sometimes we just get confused. Sometimes we get so caught on our priorities that we just simply don't love or care for the people around us. And sometimes we get so energetic about compassion that is overwhelmingly without boundaries and we lose track of everything. Paul said it. Told us to love immensely our wives as he loves, as Christ loves the church, and for them to respond to that love, and then says, Love our children, take care of our children, and by the way, set boundaries for our kids the same way God has. Prioritized compassion doesn't lose the prioritized clarity. And then all of this comes together in what I'm calling prioritized consistency. In verse 6, the end of verse 6, John says, This is love, that we walk according to his commands. That lifestyle, that living, that, that, that life of activity that he's talked about in verse 4. We walk according to his commands. This is the command, as you have heard it from the beginning, that you walk in love. What I love about this impression, what I love about the, the, the imagery that, that John is describing here is he, he describes what we understand as a sense of faithfulness. I am happy you're walking in the truth. And I want you to continue to prioritize, study your Bibles, meet together in small groups, figure out how to continue walking in that, clarify what really is your core values and what really does transform your life. And in the process of doing that, I want you to love one another. But more than anything else, John concludes by saying, look, I want you to still do this and keep doing this. Don't stop. You know, I've been on hundreds of trailheads throughout my life. And it's exciting, and it's motivating, and, and it's thrilling, and you start that trail, you start that walk, you start that hike, you start that trek, that backpack trip. But let me tell you, we would miss out on everything if we said to ourselves, hey, we got to the trailhead. That's, that's, that's all that's left. John says, keep hiking, keep climbing. There is a base camp. There was a moment in which you make the decision to trust and believe in Jesus. For me, that moment's this week. The anniversary of that decision is Wednesday. More years than I care to admit, I made the decision to believe and give my whole life to Jesus. And in my own way, I'll celebrate that Wednesday because it's continued to go. And when that moment happened, I didn't think there was any moment going to be any better. But I can look back and see every step of the way God's been there. And he's helped. But I'm not done. 
I am nowhere near the summit. I have not placed the flag and signed my name in the canister at the top of the peak. I have got a long ways to go. John is just simply saying, keep walking. Don't stop. One of our deacons, I've lost track. I believe he's 98 this year. Every time I talk to him, he tells me about what he read in the Bible this week. Usually that day. Keep walking. Prioritize consistency. Don't give 